She's a professional aromatherapist, and he is an international wellness advocate for the largest essential oil company in the world. But their love for essential oils has brought them together. Welcome to Fellowship in Essential Oils, where Elizabeth Ashley and Adam Barillet discuss essential oils and their gifts for the body, heart, head and spirit. Hello and welcome to our next episode of Fellowship in Essential Oils. My name is Adam. I'm joined by Liz. How are you today, Liz? I'm very rosy today. Thank you. Ah, funny you should say that. And I'm going to throw a question at you to start off with. We often talk about our inner circle of oils and ones that we use a lot. But if you had to pick your top three favorite essential oils, what would you choose? It would, yeah, it would be geranium, rose, and myrrh. Hmm. Well, I would go sandalwood, Douglas fir, which sometimes would argue a little bit with maybe black spruce would get in there, and rose would also be one of my top three. So it's about blooming time that we talked about rose, and that's what we're discussing today. And what extraction of rose are we talking? Well. I guess we could talk about the the, 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 the steam distilled and the absolute. But yeah, the so one I, that I work with, it, go on. I like the absolute way more than the Otto distillation. When I say rose oil, that's what I mean. I mean the absolute. Yeah. Are you talking about that just because of the richness of the aroma or the chemistry as well? The richness, yeah. There's not that much difference in the chemistry, really. But, the yeah, the depth of it, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, there's really beautiful um, kind of uses for rose, and we kind of straight away go to skincare. Um, one study that was really interesting that was done by John Hopkins University in America um, is they were given a whole range of essential oils, and they tried testing them against a whole range of different bacterias and viruses and different things like that. And guess which one was the best performer? Rose, rose. is the best of them all, was it? One thing that's been found, um, and this is not my area of specialty, but when it comes to bacteria, there are two main types. There's gram-positive yep. and gram-negative. And normally when you, like, if you've got, if you need antibiotics, they'll give you a medication that will tackle one or the other. They actually have found that rose can tackle both, which makes it really great. And I've collected stories over time where people, especially with skin infections, bacterial skin infections, rose has worked absolute wonders for that. So I pop it on my face all the time because I love the smell and I know it's got benefits for the skin. But, yeah, for bacterial infections on the skin, it's something you may not think about with rose. No. And we'll see, I've got a cough, sorry. It's the heater, I think. Um, yeah, it wouldn't be an oil that I would immediately go to for bacteria. But, yeah, there's nothing comes close to it for, to skin, full stop, I don't think. Um, and I and I'm a bit of a cheat when it comes to skincare because I was brought up in a house where mum made ridiculous amounts of uh, skincare, so she would be appalled to know that I kind of just have my bottle and go, "Oh, what have I got here? Stick a drop of that while it goes on my face." But yeah, I I, I do think that um, there's nothing comes close to it in terms of nourishing the skin, but also just the way that it makes you feel. Yeah. Now, do you, do you ever use it for any kind of skin complaints or is it more kind of for you a, a beauty oil? Um, I do use it for 
seborrheic dermatitis and mm -hmm. for malassezia, which is like a fungal infection. But I tend to blend it with other things that uh, would work for that. So for like seborrheic dermatitis with myrrh, um, for malassezia, sometimes with patchouli as well. Okay, yeah. And, and anything that you would, you know, when it comes to rose, I was kind of reflecting before we jumped on today of like, where else does rose kind of step in? And apart from skin, is there anywhere else you would use it for other systems of the body on a physical oh, level? Yes. Oh, yes. Um, cool. Gynecology generally, but all kinds of like hormonal balance. Um, so I have written a book. I will do one of my shameless plugs called Rose Goddess Medicine. Lights in it. And there's probably my favourite bit in that book is a trial that was done in 2015. And it collected together people from all over the world. So I should have done my revision. So there was a team in uh, Switzerland whom I think were an addiction team. There was uh, some in Iran. Uh, some in India, and they were all working with a set of men who were on antidepressants, SSRIs, and were sadly also suffering from sexual dysfunction as a side effect of the, um, the medication. So... It wasn't strictly speaking rose, it was citronellol that they uh, used and they didn't do it topically or as an inhalation, they did it as an oral dose. So to be able to, to uh, emulate this would cost you a small fortune. However, um, what they were able to show was that after, so actually let's, I've got to take my, my thing off, it's distracting me. I've done that bit now. Um, um, so sexual dysfunction would be uh, erectile dysfunction, um, delayed ejaculation, problems with getting um, an erection, so impotence um, or not being able to sustain one. And what they were able to show was after four weeks, the kind of the feelings of depression were waning and that there were most of them were seeing an improvement in libido well after eight weeks uh if i remember rightly 80 percent of them reported no more sexual dysfunction and they were all said i i, I don't feel depressed either so that wow. is really important medicine because we all talk about it being a woman's oil you know, women's med medicine, and, and without a shadow of a doubt, tremendous for PMT, tremendous for PMS generally, actually, so period pains uh, and aligning the um, menstrual cycle, but also for menopause, although I would always say that neroli would be better for menopause, but, but it is really good for menopause. Um, so we kind of, if we're not careful, cut off a whole set of people that can really um, have tremendous uses for it. So um, um, hormonal balance definitely is really, really important. Um, it's laxative. Um, so people who have got uh, problems with 
constipation but actually IBS generally because it has a really profound effect on the nervous system which I'll talk about in a minute um and funnily enough renal colic so that's like so out there but um it does have a tonic effect on the kidneys so if somebody's got those kind of pains within the genitourinary system renal colic um really responds well to um to rose oil and what's difficult is the the cross section is um sometimes the medicine's about um rose essential oil sometimes it's about absolute so we kind of roll them into one to be honest um but i would say really from the point of view of right well which one do you use really the only kind of difference is the fragrance rose absolute mm. has more of a use i think in perfumery because it's so much fuller and it's richer and kind of hangs around longer it's so ephemeral isn't it um rose otto um but otherwise the medicine is the same across um yeah. so yeah all of those i think um it, it's hypnotic so it's proven to help people get to sleep better and to sleep longer it's also uh, proven to have an anti-conflict element to it, which also lavender does as well. So that's really helpful for one of the areas that it's been explored for, really, um, which is withdrawal from opioids. So imagine that somebody is in withdrawal. They have all sorts of horrible kind of um, side effects from the diarrhea to scratching and feeling like you know their skin's crawling they're pacing up and down they're um, doing all manner of things so this was tested uh, they made some poor blooming rats dependent on drugs and then used um the the rose but it managed to bring down every single symptom of the withdrawal except for the diarrhea which is as i say it is laxative anyway so you wouldn't expect to see that um, but this kind of bad-tempered, um, but also depressed, and somebody who's grieving, it's really an important medicine for grief as well. So I wanted to ask one question, because I noticed if a question pops into my head, it's probably popping into others as well. You're talking way back, <laughs> I'm asking for a friend, but you talked about male, um, you know, male depression and the sexual performance and that kind of thing. They were obviously taking it orally. Now, yes. if people wanted to use their rose essential oil in a similar way, what would you recommend in that context? So actually, so it's um, an emulation of Chinese medicine. So there is like a Chinese rose tea that um, that works really well. And so this is why they pursued that. Um, funnily enough, I got asked this in a different way question yesterday somebody wanted an edible rose oil and i was like really don't understand why you would waste your money that way mm. um, because you're going to have similar effects with inhalation you're going to have similar effects with topical use you could drink rose water um so rather than going i certainly wouldn't uh want to eat rose absolute in cases like a, a, a hexane residue from the solvent extraction but really, you've got to be Rockefeller to be able to afford to to to, to drink um, rose otto essential oil. So I would I would be saying right, uh, I'd use it topically. I'd certainly use it as an inhalant. 
and I'd be drinking rose water or rose tea. Yeah, beautiful. I must admit, I went out for lunch today and we had watermelon juice with rose water. Oh my goodness, amazing combination! If you haven't tried it, oh, yeah. So I, I cook <laughs> a lot with with rose water. Um, like if we're in like a ritual setting and I've got people coming, like, and we want to sort of invoke Aphrodite, then I do a lot of rose cooking. And, and rose water is fantastic for taste, but also you do get that sense of like. In be, it like imbibing grows you kind of get the physicality of it when you do very true very true and that, and that kind of leads me into something else i was going to bring up today about rose is you know the greeks had amazing stories for so many different creations of so many different plants and the, when we did cyprus recently we talked about Cyprasios and his and apollo um and how the cypress tree came to be so the, the Greek story I've heard for Rose was that the goddess of uh, flowers and plants called Chloris found the body of a beautiful dead nymph and thought she is far too beautiful to let go of, so I'm going to turn her into a flower. But she wanted to make it the most beautiful flower ever. And so she called upon Aphrodite to give the flower its beauty. And then she called upon Dionysus, who some may not have heard of, but he's the god of wine to give the flower its alluring uh, aroma and nectar. And then she called upon Zephyrus, the god of the west wind, and west is the direction of love, to blow all the clouds out of the way so that Apollo could shine his radiant sun beauty onto the flower and allow it to blossom for the first time. I just love this idea of all these different gods and goddesses coming together to create, which probably I would argue is, Maybe Blue Lotus could give it a good run for its money, but the queen of the flowers, and that is Rose. And I think that really kind of encapsulates the magic of Rose and how many different ways it can be used in a holistic level as well. I agree. And, um, I mean, the earliest symbol that we see of the Rose dates back 5,000 years to the goddess Inanna. She was a a Sumerian goddess. Mm. And it's like a an eight pointed star, actually, when you when you see it. And it was on the door in one of her temples where the where all of the offerings for her were to be put. Um, and you see this kind of um, connection with the rose and the queen of heaven uh, right the way through five thousand years, and even it exists now in that we call Mary queen of heaven. Um, and you'll hear like Christmas carols where it says there is no rose of such virtue as the as bears the child whose name was Yeyuzu or whatever. Um, so it, even for five thousand years later, it still says divine feminine queen of heaven. What is interesting is you talk about that um, Zephyr, the god of the west. So yep. um, west was what? To you, what did you say West was? Uh, the direction of love, normally associated with the element of water. Correct. So that's what yep. I was going to say. So it is uh, it is water, and water rules the rose. Aphrodite, of course, was goddess of love, and she would plunge in and out of the water. She was always in and out of the water. But also, the West, when you're looking at, um, at mythology, West is, is the land of the dead. And so mm. you also have this, um, there's another kind of origin story. Again, Aphrodite, this time with um, Adonis, who 
he's born of a murtry. We won't go down mm. that road. But she falls completely in love with Adonis and she doesn't want to let him out of her sight. And then a, bull, a boar, sorry, a boar comes out of the forest and bores him, gores him, and he dies. And where his blood runs and her tears merge, some myths say an anemone grew, others say a rose grew. So there's uh, this um, love and death association again. Yeah. Really interesting. In crystal mythology, there's actually that same story. Um, Aphrodite's blood fell on, or it could have been Adonis's blood, but mainly Aphrodite's, and she ran to try and save Adonis. Her blood um, dropped onto some clear quartz and turned it pink, creating rose a rose quartz, quartz which yeah. is a crystal of love as well. So that whole incident really, a lot of different beautiful things came out of it, didn't it? Yes, of course. And that, yeah, that I mean, Adonis is one of those gods that you kind of is an afterthought in um, in Greek mythology, but he's probably the main consort of a lot of mythology in his different names: Dumazi, um, Tammuz, Baal. In lots of different philosophies, he is the main consort, the main also uh, the main sort of god. It's mm. like I, I am getting completely saturated in light now. <laughs> Apollo's having a shine on you. Yeah. <laughs> now, I guess we should talk a little bit. We've, we, we've touched on death, but let's talk a little bit about love because obviously Rose is very much the flower of love. You know, I obviously use it in a lot of workings and people that are working with love, but I always say that the gift that Rose brings us is unconditional love. Now, a lot of people go, oh, yeah, 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 I love my partner unconditionally. I love my children unconditionally. So I always say to them, so if you came home and you found your partner in bed with your best friend and they'd thrown all your essential oils on the floor and got rid of them, would you still love them? And they're like, well, no, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, exactly. And I'm like, well, then it's conditional not love, not unconditional love. Now, that's an extreme example, obviously. But a lot of the time we do, we put expectations on how we want someone else to behave. And then I find it interesting to all the people in long-term relationships, you know, we fall in love with someone and we love them and they're perfect just the way they are. But over time they start to annoy us. So we start to change them. And then 10 years later, we're disappointed because they're not the person we first got together with. No, it's because you've set a 10 year campaign trying to try to suit them and change them around as well. So what I find Rose is really good at practicing is that unconditional love. Imagine if we could love someone for who they are rather than who we wanted them to be. And if that meant that they wanted to do this or they wanted to do that, could we love them regardless of that? And then imagine if we could learn to love others in that way, what permission that would grant to ourselves, that we could live our lives and love ourselves however we wanted to be, without the need to try and fulfil other expectations and know that we were loved in that way. So not only can Rose help us to love other people unconditionally, it can allow us to step into unconditional love and live our life in that way, but also to realise that whatever we do, the universe will love us and support us and that we don't always have to adhere to other people's expectations as well. So I like to kind of encourage people to think a little bit deeper about the spiritual aspects of love that rose can open up for us we know it's obviously going to be one of the most powerful essential oils of love but i think just going oh yeah it's a romance oil it's an aphrodisiac oil 
No. How can it go into those next levels and really explore unconditional love? Yeah, I agree. And um, I'll, I'll put it in the description, actually. I've got quite a lot of meditations with different oils. And I've got one for inner peace, which is for Rose. And it's one of the most listened to videos um, because everybody messages me and go, I just feel so calm, so much better about myself. Now I've listened to that and worked with Rose. As you say, a, a lot a lot of it is about like the feeling of beauty from having Rose. And again, that's an Aphrodite, like an Aphrodite thing or Venus, you know, that's, that's what we're talking about when we talk about um, medical astrology and these planetary rulerships, how it makes you feel is like the rulership of the, of the plant. So this mm. kind of loving and beauty and actually, incidentally, money is also about the Venus kind of channel. And as I say, that, that's been in existence for 5,000 years, that feeling that, the, that those goddesses are something to do with Rose. Now, I do have your book on Rose, but it's in Australia because when I moved here to the Middle East, I was allowed one suitcase. And apart from clothing and a little small amount of oils and crystals, I couldn't bring much. What were some of the really interesting things you found out about Rose when you were writing your book? Um, without a shadow of a doubt, that Iranian, that, that trial I talked about earlier. Um, I really enjoyed, and I mean, like the the stories that I enjoy when I'm writing the book aren't necessarily about what the oil does. If that makes sense, it's more yeah. the social con, uh, like conscience of the of the plant. So, my most, I really enjoyed learning about um, a distillery that actually I had the chance to go and visit in uh, Bulgaria called Enyobonchev. And they're kind of the kings of um, of the rose, if you like. The, the finest um, oil comes from there. And what was interesting about that is with the, the I can't remember exactly how long, but it, it had been in their uh, family for hundreds of years, this distillery. Um. But obviously Bulgaria was a communist state for a while and the government just took it and took all of the distilleries and just went, well, these are of the state now. I mean, can you imagine that happening? Um, mm. And so then the rose oil became like a, a Bulgarian state thing and it was only when the, the war came down that they were able to take it back and they were able to bring it back into the same family that it's been with all of the time. And, uh, yeah, so that was really interesting learning about that. The So many cultures as well use rose. And I really liked learning about Mecca. So uh, when you go to Mecca, there's uh, like a beetle, isn't there? Like a, a black stone. Well, that black stone gets washed with rose oil every day. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, so it's called the Tave Rose. And uh, it's a different, like a really treasured, sacred rose, and, it, and that gets used each day, yeah. Now, I guess when we go to maybe a rose garden or something like that, my, you know, with my, Engl my English grandparents, they loved a good rose garden, and that's been passed on to my mother, and I've got a bit of a thing for rose as well. You know, we can get all these different kind of varieties and different colours and things like that, but it's just one particular rose that really we get our rose essential oil and our absolute from, isn't it? 
Yeah, so, um, so well, no, there are different ones, but the main one that people know is Rosa Damascena. Yeah. And although you can get them from, like, Rosa Alba, uh, which is a white rose, Rosa Centifolia is the Indian rose, so that's, if you know much about roses, they're like, Rosa Centifolia means 100 petals, looks like a cabbage rose. Um, Rosa Damascena smells red, but he's actually p- pale pink. Um, I know, so I was a bit disappointed by that because it's, it, yeah, it's quite yeah. a drab looking uh, uh, plant. So I went to the um, rose harvest. I was um, taken to all the singing and dancing and stuff and we went through. And yeah, it's it's quite a... a there are definitely better roses, yeah. Um, but, um, and what's interesting is like when you walk down them, of course, it's the, the the climate is just so perfect for them there. And the Rose Valley is in a valley, so it's protected from the, the wind and the, and the heat. So it has this beautiful kind of like terroir, we would say, um, where it grows. So they all grow, as I say, they're quite shrubby looking. They're almost a bit like, well, in this country, what we have down the middle of the road, uh, in the middle of the um, motorways, we always have like municipal roses, and they've got like dog roses. It looks a bit like that. Um, and they're grown. They're grown in fields which are parched. They're really, really dry. So the ground is really, really dry, and they're surrounded by like lots of lots of weeds, so that they uh, stabilize the nutrients. So you're walking through, and it's not like walking through a rose garden at all, not at all. No, but at the end of the day, it gives us a very amazing essential oil, which I absolutely love. Yeah, and I mean, if people don't know much about rose oil, what's really interesting is they have to pick it so early in the morning, so the they get up around about four or five o'clock. The picking is finished by eight o'clock. Because by then the roses have opened too much and they'll lose too much oil. So then they have to wait till till the next day. And then when you go to the distillery, the um, there's these huge bags, clear bags, full of these rose petals. And you get close and there's all the earwigs running around them and stuff. So, they, so they've so they just like taken the, the, the heads off. But as you walk in, A, the, the fragrance is astonishing, but also the air is pink. Because there's so many volatiles coming up from the rose, with the actual sort of sunrise is completely wow. Pink. Yeah, and and I have heard accounts of people being in the valley of the roses, and that a lot of the time the the transport of the roses around is done more by horse and cart rather than vehicles, just to oh, yeah. again reduce the amount of fumes going around. And this idea of the roses being transported on this old horse, kind of trudging along a road, it it really brings to the romance of the whole creation of the rose oil as well. Yes, and I do think, though, there's also an element of playing to the tourists because it is a, <laughs> it's a, it's a massive tourist event when you go. And you should see how many Japanese are there. It's phenomenal. Um, they, they come in there hundreds of thousands. And there's like, depending on whereabouts you go, so, you could, so when we went to the actual harvest in the fields, they've got, they've got like, huge great big vats bubbling away with the flowers in them and they're all singing and dancing in dan- uh, in their traditional costumes but that that's not a distillery mm. you go to the st- a distillery it's you know, there are the cars there are definitely vans and stuff um but likewise there is a, a rose parade so it's like um 
almost like a Mardi Gras of roses and there's just cascades of roses and the singers and dancers are all wearing all the roses. It's just magnificent. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously it is an expensive essential oil. I think it's one that we all need to have in our collection. When would you use rose and when would you not use rose, do you think? I would always use rose. <laughs> That's a good answer. I think I'd agree with you. It's it's so, worth it. No, actually, and that's yeah. So actually, so something that I didn't talk about earlier was its effects on cortisol. So cortisol, of course, is a stress hormone, and it is tremendous at being able to switch off cortisol. So there's lots of trials where they've shown that the skin has got better because they haven't had the stress response that the um, rose has been able to stop that. Um, and an, an important sort of aspect of that, we never talked about postnatal uh, medicine, but it's wonderful for like when you give birth and those those days afterwards. And in particular for bonding with a baby, every woman who has a baby should be given rose, in my opinion. Um, and what's, I mean, actually when you understand a bit about cortisol it really brings it home to be honest so as i say cortisol is a stress hormone but we have a natural rhythm of um cortisol so for example when you get up in the morning you have a spike of cortisol and it's short drop through the day not everyone's like that so for example my son has asperger's people with asperger's don't seem to have it for some reason so this is part of like their clinical thing but the other thing is the babies don't have it. So babies don't develop their own cycle of cortisol until they're two years old. Prior to that, their cortisol mimics their mums. So if you think about these poor sort of, I'm going to be so really stereotypical now, but these poor single mums at home, no, no uh, help at all, Baby's crying, mum's stress goes up, baby's stress goes up, baby gets cries more. And so there's this awful cycle going round that really you can do a lot to prevent by stopping the, the cortisol spike by using rose. So I would always go down that road. I would always use it for grief. Um, I would sometimes use it for hormones. And what I mean by that is... There are lots of times where you can supplement rose for geranium. Geranium mm -hmm. is cheaper. Where geranium would be far superior would be if somebody has been suffering from long-term stress. Because then the cortisol starting to wane and the adrenals are really not firing very well. Well, that's where geranium is really good at supporting the um, the adrenals. So while we say geranium's poor man's rose, it's not. It's just it's just different. But pretty much anything that rose can do, so can geranium. Um, mm. But um, yeah, like you were saying about the affinity with the rose garden, I belong in a rose garden. You know, I'm so much happier and healthier when the when the roses are out. So it's a it's kind of a a, a crutch for me to have rose around me. Yeah, and I think as we've kind of talked about the different uses today, it's one that just we need to get it into our life somehow. Whether it be you know 
first thing in the morning to kind of help us with our cortisol levels and just kind of keep us, you know, blossoming for the day. Or it's obviously had some great advantages at night with our skincare in the bedroom and so on as well. So in my opinion, it's kind of, although it's an expensive oil, it's one that you've, it's worth incorporating a little bit into it each and every day when you can. Yeah, and you don't need very much of it. It's it's one of those oils that will last you for quite a long time. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's, it is worth the money. Definitely. Yeah. Now we normally end up on a discussion where we talk about the planetary or the astrological correspondence and the chakra. I don't think we're going to have many arguments today. I think we'd both agree with Venus and the heart chakra, wouldn't we? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And specifically when Venus is in retrograde, the bottle should be with you all of the time. <laughs> yes. Of course, when Venus does go into retrograde, she takes her loving energy away. And not just romantic relationships, but Venus governs all of our relationships. So they get, they kind of get challenged. And it's a really good time to do a bit of a cost benefit analysis of all the relationships in your life during a Venus retrograde and go, hold on, while I'm having these troubles, are they still worth it? And it's a level to, it's an opportunity and a lesson to upgrade all of our relationships. So again, we can practice that unconditional love that I mentioned before for ourselves and for other people. Sometimes we stay friends with people just because we've always been friends and maybe it's no longer time to do that. But a, a Venus retrograde, it happens less often than many of the other retrogrades. But yeah, you definitely want your rose oil near you at that time to really make sure that it's going on the heart chakra for sure. There's um, a lovely sort of quote from the 17th century, I think, Emperor Jahangir, and he was adamant that his mother-in-law had invented uh, rose oil. He said that what had happened was she was making rose water, and when she had, she'd noticed there was a scum around the side of the, the bowl, and when she'd rubbed her finger, she was like, oh, my goodness, what is this? There's your rose oil. And he uh, presented her these fantastic pearls for the service to humanity that she'd had by doing that. And he, he said that it that rose oil restores hearts that have gone and brings back withered souls. And I've never heard anything quite so accurate in my life. I think that's a beautiful way to finish today's episode. I think that really sums it up beautifully. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us on Fellowship in Essential Oils. We'll be back next week to discover another gift of Mother Nature. Until then, take care. Bye-bye.